This is Paul Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Weekdays at 10 on 710 ESPN Seattle. At Gallant Says on Twitter. Text into the show at 710-710. Oh, hello and welcome aboard the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle and Washington. Nay, the world. I am Paul Gallant. It is Monday, May 3rd of 2021. And I have... A two-part question for you. You know who the Seahawks took this weekend in the NFL draft. In the second round, they took Dwayne Eskridge, a wide receiver out of Western Michigan. In the fourth round, they drafted Oklahoma cornerback Trey Brown. And then in the sixth round, they drafted Florida tackle six foot nine Stone Forsythe. What's your favorite pick? Which pick do you like the least? I'm intrigued by the Dwayne Eskridge pick more than any pick, mainly because of this. He's a second-round pick. There is going to be, just because of when he was selected, an assumption that he will contribute in some way, shape, or form this coming season. Now, will he be good? Will he be bad? Who's to say at this point in time? Very, very few people, I think, are 100% accurate in their predictions about what a draft pick will be the day after the draft is made. It's one of the reasons that I kind of get annoyed by the fact that there are so many people that will grade an entire draft class without any of those guys playing an actual down. Usually those grades ranging from A to C have some chutzpah. A to C? What kind of school is this? Participation trophy school? Anywho, to the Seahawks draft picks. Dwayne Eskridge is the one that I'm most intrigued by. This is a guy that has 4.38 speed, at least at his Western Michigan Pro Day. You watch the tape. He catches passes, runs with authority, but he just he just slowly zooms away from everybody. And you think to yourself, okay, but he's playing in the MAC. How good is he actually? But the reason that he fell on the Seahawks draft board, I would imagine, is because of how he played at the Pro Day. The Pro Day woke everybody up. Excuse me, not the pro day. The senior bowl performance. The senior bowl performance woke everybody up to the point where the Los Angeles Rams might have been right about to take him at pick number 57 if the Seahawks hadn't swooped in at number 56. The reason they bring in Dwayne Eskridge per Pete Carroll has to do with the new offensive coordinator. Shane Waldron wanted three legitimate wide receivers for the offense. Here's Pete talking about that at his post-draft press conference. Uh, you know, Shane, Shane has talked since we first tar- started talking about, you know, schematically how we're going about it, philosophically how we're going about the offense, about having three legitimate threats, you know, in, in passing situations so a defense can't, can't lock you down. And it was one of the reasons that Gerald was such a big get for us, was such a great acquisition for us in the offseason uh, to, to help us. But we always want to have it, three guys out there that they've got to work with and contend with so they just can't double guys up and take them out of the offense. So referring to Gerald Everett there, Right now, I think you pen in as the legitimate threats in the offense, Everett, along with, of course, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. But you're hoping that when you bring in a guy who has this kind of speed that he can do for the Seahawks offense, what we have seen Robert Woods do for the Rams, and what Debo Samuel's done for the San Francisco 49ers. We're not just talking about this guy as a wide receiver. We're talking about this guy as someone that can do what the Seahawks wanted from David Moore better than David Moore could. And sadly, David Moore was just a little bit too inconsistent. The Seahawks loved the talent that he had. I'm not 100% sure about how David Moore felt about his situation here in Seattle, given 
that he moved on to the Carolina Panthers. But they are looking for Dwayne Eskridge to immediately fill that void by one David Moore. Maybe Freddie Swain has a chance to get it, but I think when you bring in a guy that has this kind of speed, the assumption is that he needs to be that player. Pete Carroll also talked at his press conference about the new look for the offense when he was describing how Eskridge will get acclimated here in Seattle. Because um, nobody knows what we're doing right now, so we'll, we'll unveil that later. But um, he, he has a skill set that, that, I mean, you saw him play outside. Like he said, he's played 80, 80% of the time he played the X receiver. He's out, out of the box and, and out there one, in one-on-one situations quite a bit. And he certainly can do that. And he certainly can be an inside receiver that can get across the field. We've seen all of that. There'll be um, a learning curve for, for him as in, in our offense. We do more things than they did um, uh, and, and, and that schematically, you know, he'll, he'll have a chance to learn, and we'll learn more about him. That's what John said. You know, our coaches need to get him on the field. We need to start working with him. We need to see what he adapts to well and what comes easy to him. As always with young players, we want to do the things that they do well early so that they can find success and have confidence in, in what we're asking of them, and then we'll expand from there. So that's kind of how we will always approach that with any player in his position, and it certainly would it pertains here. Speed is a priority in this league. If you don't have it, you're lost. If you don't have speed on offense, then just go home. The Seahawks have a lot of it, and they continue to add to it, and I think that you can't ever really stop adding speed. Look at the Chiefs. Everyone that they have is fast. Everyone. Not just Tyreek Hill and their tight end, Travis Kelsey. It's Demarcus Robinson. It's Miko Hardman. They have all sorts of speed at that position. The Miami Dolphins this offseason bring in Jalen Waddle early on. They draft Will Fuller, one of the fastest wide receivers in the NFL, too. Speed kills. You need to have as much of it as you possibly can. And I like that the Seahawks aren't sitting back and saying to themselves, yeah, we're fine. They need to have somebody as an alternative on the off chance that there are games where DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are injured. And honestly, just given the way that that playoff game went down, outside of that deep pass that Russell Wilson threw to DK Metcalf, for six, five combined receptions between Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Not anywhere close to enough. Someone has to pick up that slack. Whether it's Gerald Everett at tight end or Dwayne Eskridge, and that's the pressure that's now on Dwayne Eskridge. I'm Paul Gallant. It's the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle and Washington, nay, the world. We'll have more thoughts. I will share more thoughts on the remainder of the Seahawks draft picks. But the question of the day for you is as follows, which you can ask, excuse me, you can answer 710 710 on the Mac and Jacks text line. You can tweet me at Galan says or call in 206 421 3776 at 1015. What was the Seahawks' best pick? What was their worst pick? Let's go through a couple of texts. One person says Stone, just on his name, Stone Forsyth. It's a great name. Another texter says, Love all the picks. Can't hate on this small draft class because it's so small. I think wide receiver was more of a need than Hawks fans think. Interesting you say that given how secure the future is now at the position given the Tyler Lockett extension and also just that DK Metcalf for the next two years is going to be on your team, and I would be shocked if they don't resign him to some sort of massive extension. But you are right in that. If Tyler Lockett's banged up down the stretch like we think he has been the last two seasons and he isn't looking the same way that he looks in the first half of the year, you got to have somebody else. you got to have somebody else, and I'm hoping that this Dwayne Eskridge guy can be that guy. It's 10-10. This hour of the Paul Gallant Show is brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. It's time for What's Trending, brought to you by Kings Heating and Air with Maura Dooley. 
Mora, good morning, afternoon. How are you now? Good morning, afternoon. I don't, uh, I'm not like Roz. I don't, I've seen a little bit of Letter Kenny, but I don't know what my response to how are you now is supposed to be. Uh, I say like not so bad. Not so bad? Oh, not so bad. I feel like it's more of a leprechaun accent than a Canadian accent. Wow. <laughs> Didn't really think about it from that perspective. Maybe I need to listen back. Am I all of a sudden sounding like the Lucky Charms merchant <laughs> when I am saying, how are you now? Perhaps I am. Learn new things every single I day. Like What's going on, Maura? All right. Well, first up, the Mariners notched their second shutout in four games. Justice Sheffield pitched six innings yesterday despite a pretty tight strike zone that left him asking some questions. Um, Service said he was impressed with the way that Sheffield battled. I'm really happy that they got through this stretch of games and they still have been able to hang around. And I think the Angels, at the very least, have talent that's noteworthy. Shohei Otani and Mike Trout, of course. You win two or three in that series to open up this homestand, and now you take on Baltimore. Over the next six games, the Mariners can continue to somehow, some way, hang around in the conversation as far as a team that maybe over the course of the year can actually challenge for a 500 record. I mean, you go up against Houston, L.A., Boston, and, and, and you come out of this stretch where... I mean, really, there's been few runs to speak of, but you go, what, six and seven against all those good teams, and then you take two or three? I don't know how they're doing it. I really don't, and I'm really impressed by it. I hope it continues. There's a part of me that does feel like at some point the other the other foot, the other shoe will drop because, I mean, they are playing over their skis right now. They got two injuries in their rotation. You're not going to be able to rely on Yusei Kikuchi, but I'm, I am totally I am totally doubt being a Debbie Downer right now. It's a nice win over the weekend, and it's really good to see that both – in uh, the last couple of starts, Yusei Kikuchi and Justice Sheffield have really picked up a starting rotation that seems like it's in a bit of a precarious situation with James Paxton out for the year and Marco Gonzalez injured too. Right, the drama with the Packers continues. Charles mm. Robinson of Yahoo Sports reports, as long as Brian Gutenkus serves as the Packers general manager, Aaron Rodgers is willing to consider hardline options to get what he wants, from skipping the entire offseason to holding out of training camp to possibly retiring. Packers head coach Matt LaFleur, for one, can't imagine it. Yeah, I've, I've never really thought about that. I mean, like, you know, I can't fathom not not being in Green Bay, so... Um, that's where my mind's at. Um, I just, you know, not, I don't only love the player, but I love the person. I love working with him on a daily basis. I think we all do from the players in that locker room to the coaching staff. And, um, again, I don't, I don't even want to let my mind go there. Watching those guys squirm something else. (laughs) I mean, for, for Matt LaFleur, that's just a tricky spot to be in because it seems like he is clearly removed from the idea of moving on from Aaron Rodgers and always has been. And he's like, yeah, I don't want to move on from the all-pro MVP quarterback. Just me, but it would be very difficult for me to move on from that. And then you got Brian Gutekunst, who Aaron Rodgers probably wants to be fired, who is basically like, yeah, well, I mean, you know, I haven't heard him say that, and, you know, uh, you know we're just trying to put this team together in the best way that we can it's got to be so awkward for him and it's really funny too to see him go up and do press conferences where he is aware that Aaron Rodgers doesn't like him and you just twiddle your thumbs and you're like yep I mean uh 
Everything's great. And, uh, you know, we love Aaron Rodgers and we want him to be here for a long period of time. I think it's hilarious that his response is, well, he hasn't told me that he wants to be fired. Like, who goes to their boss and is like, I want you out of here. Right. That's that's but that's what Aaron Rodgers has the power to do. So we will see if that is something that the Green Bay Packers to do as an act of desperation. I'm Paul Gallant. That's what's trending with Maura Dooley. Brought to you by Kings Heating and Air every single day at 1015. The phone line is 206-421-3776 to call into the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle and Washington. Nay, the world. 710-710 is how you text in on the Mac and Jacks text line. You can also tweet me at Gallant says my question for you what's your favorite pick what's your least favorite pick from this weekend it's pretty easy you only have three to pick and honestly you have to pick one that's your least favorite i know some of you guys are optimistic but it's fine be honest with me how are you feeling about the worst pick that the seahawks made in your opinion and the best pick it's time to hear from you it's time for you to be heard your voice your opinions it's time to be heard every day at 10 15 with paul gallant be her. Brian and Linwood text in 710-710 on the Mac Jacks text line. I like the small guy and the big guy. It is amusing to just think about. The in-between all- one, though. No. Right, right. Well, I mean, they're both. There's two small guys and there's one big guy. And the draft class photo would certainly be very interesting to see all five foot nine, five foot ten. Dwayne Askridge and Trey Brown next to 6869 Stone Forsyth. It would probably look just a little bit like that picture of Jose Altuve next to Aaron Judge. How many Altuves are, are these two smaller fellows compared to Stone Forsyth? I am much more excited about the two cornerbacks. I think it's fair to have most of your expectations tied to the wide receiver just because he's a second round pick. But there was a part of me that looks at Trey Brown, the cornerback out of Oklahoma, and I think he's the guy that gets me the most excited. I don't know what he's going to do year one, and you always have to take things like John Schneider saying that he would have potentially been a top 10 draft pick if he is six foot two with a grain of salt because everyone feels so good about their draft picks right after a draft. Maybe not fans, but every single general manager generally I think feels great about a draft class that they put together. Or at least they will say that publicly. Trey Brown is somebody who has helped win the last three, three Big 12 championship games. He had a sack of Sam Ellinger for his safety against Texas in 2018. In 2019, he ran down a Baylor wide receiver who looked like he was going to easily score a 95-yard touchdown. Oklahoma held on with about five minutes left. They held Baylor to a field goal instead of a touchdown because Trey Brown ran the guy down. They win it at overtime. And then this past year, Trey Brown has the game-clinching interception of Brock Purdy with about, ah, I don't know. A minute or so left to go. He's made big plays in the last three games. And the guy's exceptionally cocky. How about this line from Trey Brown at his pro day, before he even knew he was going to the Seattle Seahawks, talking about how he would like perhaps a chance to race against D.K. Metcalf. The receiver I go, I go against is definitely D.K. Metcalf, you know. Uh, they, they talk all about his physical traits, you know, how he's fast, and he's just a beast, you know. Uh, so that's, that's definitely a guy that I want to go up and show uh, show what I can do against him and, uh, you know, try to, uh, you know, hush the silence and just be competitive. You're faster than him, aren't you? Well, I'm faster than him? Hey, if we yeah. line it up, definitely. You can tell him right there. If you're if you close to DK Metcalf, so we can line that up, definitely. 
Wow. That's something else, and I would love to see this actually take place because DK Metcalf does not take challenges to his speed with <laughs> a lot of humility. He is definitely somebody who is going to get right back in Trey Brown's face, I imagine, if they do decide to have some sort of race. I have to go on Instagram because someone sent in a text on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line in the last show that DK put out an announcement maybe for something. I they... think they mistook that. I checked it out because they said, oh, look, he posted on Instagram. I think he's going to race Trey Brown. Um, but it's just it's, it looks like an ad. DK it says uh... Com- coming May 9th and then DK plops down some cleats on a track and they're Under Armour. Oh, uh, okay. So it's new cleats that maybe he's about to, to, to yeah. bust And maybe out. he is going to do some kind of track race thing involved with that because it is at a track but i don't think it has anything to do with trey brown okay saying that okay cool thank you for clarifying that mora uh harrison's and kirkland have we coined stone cold foresight yet no but you got it you can start printing the t-shirts right now i love that his i love that his name is stone let's go to the phones 206-421-3776 Corey's in piala Corey, what's up how you guys doing doing well I think um, Mills might be the pick for us. I don't know why. He seems very impressive. I mean, he doesn't get a lot of recognition from HBCU, but his story is pretty ins- inspirational, and um, I like him a lot. And also, didn't we learn anything from Russ with the media? I think the whole Aaron Rodgers thing is a lie. You think the whole thing's a lie? What do you mean by that? Whole thing. Explain. I just think it's made up. I know, but you got to give me more than that. Why do you think it's made up? Because... The whole Russell Wilson thing was made up. Everything in the offseason is made up. You think the whole Russell Wilson thing was made up? You are sadly mistaken, sir. That is not now, the case at all. John, John, John Snyder said he never called one person. So you're just going to believe like what the general manager or the head coach are going to say about anything publicly? Yeah, I am. All right, Corey. Well, if that's the way that you feel about it, then there we go. Appreciate the phone call. 206-421-3776. Look, Russell Wilson's agent put that out in the open, that these are the four teams that he would like to be traded to. There was definitely some testiness going on behind the scenes. Of course, the Seahawks are going to, after the fact, say that it wasn't as big of a deal as it was, but it was a big deal to the point where we don't know that next offseason things are going to be different. The people that are in denial on this do not be like the entire New England Patriots fan base was when it came to some of the issues that were between Tom Brady and Bill Belichick a couple of years ago. These back and forths do happen. Powerful quarterbacks want to have their voices heard. They want to have their input over the entirety of the roster. If someone says something publicly, oh, it didn't happen, you're going to believe it every single time? I challenge your critical thinking on that. 206-421-3776 is, again, how you call in. By the way, what's intriguing about Brian Mills most to me is that he has the same name as the character that Liam Neeson plays in the Taken franchise. Anybody? Anybody watch Taken? No? I think I saw it once a long time ago. I did not remember that. He has a very particular set of skills. But, yes, Brian Mills is the <laughs> protagonist in the Taken Media franchise, portrayed by Liam Neeson in the film's trilogy. Oh, it was a trilogy? Dang, I didn't know it was a trilogy. I've only seen the first one. Jason is in Everett at 206-421-3776. Jason, your chance to be heard. What's up? Do it. Jason, what's up? Can you, can you hear me? I can hear you now. All right. Uh, Jamal Adams. Definitely our best pick this draft. But um, Danny would love that. We, <laughs> with what we had to work with, I do like Dwayne Eskridge. I'm just a little worried about his size. Uh, the way he's willing to go in and take hits like that, I just worry about him staying healthy. 
Well, I, I will say this about Eskridge, and look, I'm basing it off of just the film that I watched this offseason, and I'm no scout like everybody else on the Seattle Seahawks front office, and, and appreciate the phone call, Jason. I'll just say that when you have a guy that has that kind of speed that runs with the kind of authority that he does, I actually feel pretty good about his ability to stay healthy. Now, look, it's a high school thing. He played running back in high school, though. I feel like because of that, that he's going to run with a little extra oomph that maybe another wide receiver might not. Receivers are getting smaller and smaller across the league. Players are getting smaller and faster across the league. I understand the idea, the reservations about potentially him getting injured, but I would say more so what you should be looking for is just an ability to keep adding guys like this. I think the more that you have of this, the better. And yeah, there is a risk for injury, but go back and watch. I was watching the 30 for 30 for the Las Vegas Raiders and, and Al Davis and Pete Rozelle a couple of weeks ago. And they're showing some of the hits that, that Jack Tatum, who called himself the assassin, was making over the middle of the field. Those hits don't happen anymore. Like, they're illegal. And with that in mind, I, I, I think thinking about a player, a wide receiver safety going over the middle of the field, it's not, it's not what it used to be. It's, it is a little safer for them out there. So the, the size thing is not the issue for me with Eskridge. My, my question is, what's he going to be like when he, get, when, he, when he goes up against better competition than he had in the MAC? He looked really good at the Senior Bowl. That's the Senior Bowl. Is he going to actually look good in the NFL? But other teams wanted him. The Rams wanted him, and the Seahawks swooped in in front and took him. I'm Paul Gallant. This is the Paul Gallant Show. If you've got a question for Michael Bumpus, who predicted the Dwayne Eskridge pick, you can text it in on the Mac and Jacks Brewing Company text line at 710-710. We'll talk about that pick, the rest of the Seahawks draft, what he liked most, what he liked least in the sports pit. Don't go anywhere. It's 1030, and that means it's time to get in the sports pit. In the pit where all that stuff goes down, man, if you don't have some freaking toughness, you're going to fail with all the lines. And I am joined right now in the sports pit. By, I guess, a prophet? <laughs> the one and only Michael Bumpus, Bumpstradamus, as one texter wants us to call him going forward, and I honestly want to call him that too, who correctly predicted that Dwayne Eskridge would be the Seattle Seahawks wide receiver coming out of this draft. Bump, I mean, I, I have so many questions about what's next. Like, <laughs> when are we going to find life on another planet? Uh, what's the lottery numbers? But, uh... Instead, let's just start with what they're getting in Dwayne Eskridge. Oh, man. Dwayne Eskridge, you're getting a guy who is fast. He can stretch the field. He's great with the ball in his hands. And I've mentioned this before, with this Shane Waldron offense, these playmakers are going to be asked to make plays off of a five-yard route, right, a crossing route, a screen. Um, so he's going to be able to do that. Also, he might be able to contribute in the return game. We know that DJ Reed's back there at that punt return spot. You got guys competing at the kick return spot, and the man has played gunner as well. That's the guy who, on pump returns, is the first guy down there trying to tackle the returner. He's played defense in college as well. So you're getting an all-around type kid. You're getting a guy who can possibly make tackles on special teams, which we receivers do not do. I remember being asked to make a tackle against the Chicago Bears on special teams. I'm like, I haven't tackled a man since I was a senior in high school. So it's a bit different. you got to have some experience doing that. Just an all-around guy, a guy that's going to compete for that third spot. You still got Frank Swain and Ursua there. I brought in a couple free agents to compete as well. But a guy that they expect um, to make the roster. You hear Pete Carroll talk about him. They're like, look, we're going to use this guy inside, outside. Um, They expect him to make the roster. 
we heard also from Pete, Shane Waldron wanted three legitimate wide receivers for the offense. David Moore wasn't able to establish that kind of consistency last season. And I imagine that for Eskridge, the Seahawks are going to take a look at what we have seen a whole lot out of from the Rams the last couple of years where they use Robert Woods in a variety of different roles, not just as a wide receiver, Debo Samuel with the 49ers, where Eskridge is going to be not just, as you mentioned, Bob, like doing all those different things that he can do, but just doing things that you don't traditionally expect out of a wide receiver. They're just going to try to find ways to get him the football. Yep, exactly, Paul. Find ways <clears throat> excuse me, to get this young man the ball. You talk about this L.A. Rams offense. He's got to be like the Josh Reynolds of that offense. You know, Josh Reynolds is that third receiver, a guy that you hear about but doesn't really pop out on the screen. But when you look at his stats, you're like, dang, he really contributed to this team. 52 catches, 618 yards, and two touchdowns. That's the type of player that they're looking for, a guy who can sit in the zone and a guy who can make something out of nothing. And I think Eskridge can be that guy. Now it's all about how quickly can he learn the playbook. Can he learn multiple positions? Because we've learned – um, through example of uh, Freddie Swain, if you can learn multiple positions in this offense, they're going to trust you and they're going to give you opportunities to score the football. And Eskridge, I feel like, can be a great contributor to this team. You can text it a question for Michael Bumpus, 710-710, on the Mac and Jack Brewing Company text line. Let's shift to their fourth-round pick. Bump, I think this is the guy I'm most excited about, and maybe it's because I fell hook, line, and sinker for a line from John Schneider where he feels that, he can be, or he would have been, had he been a little bit taller, a potential top 10 pick. But uh, in Trey Brown, what you get is a guy who has helped Oklahoma win the last three Big 12 championship games. A guy who very, very, very much feels he is fast and at his pro day said he would want to go against DK Metcalf, and he thinks he actually might be faster than DK Metcalf. I'm curious as to what he is going to bring to the table because it does feel like Outside of DJ Reed, there are zero certainties about the Seahawks cornerback position. Yeah, there's reason for concern, right? You got DJ over there. You got Witherspoon, who's, who they picked up from the Niners. You still got Trey Flowers. And now they're bringing this kid, Trey Brown. What I like about this guy, Paul, you watch him on film. There's some guys who are out there playing, right? They're, they're in the right spots. They're making plays. This guy's not playing. He's flying around. Like There's, there's a, a tempo and a fierceness to the way that he plays that I really like. What surprised me about this pick is that he's – you think about a Seahawk corner, and what do we think about? Big, big, long, long arms. We're not seeing that in DJ Reed and, 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 and Trey Brown. We're getting a different type of corner. So that tells me that there might be a transition going on in the NFL or maybe just with the Seahawks when it comes to their philosophy. They're like, look, we're no longer just pigeonholing guys and saying, if he's not 6'3", if he's not this and that, he can't play for us. They're turning on the film, and they're saying, look, okay, how are his hips? Does he play with that aggressiveness that we want? Can he attack the football? And when you watch film on Trey Brown, you see all of the above. I'm excited for this dude to come in and compete. Reed does that, and and Brown theoretically can do all these things at the NFL level. It is weird, though, that they've gone away from something that's been so successful for such a long period of time, bringing in these taller guys who they have come in and play their defense, which doesn't seem to have changed a whole lot over the entirety of Pete. Carroll's tenure here but yeah what you just said bump about Trey Brown is something that I watched DJ Reed do last year yeah DJ I mean DJ hit the ground running and made an impact instantly and I think Trey can do the same again it's the same story um, with Eskridge now can he learn the technique from Pete Carroll and the crew can he stay on top 
Can he make plays early? Can he flash? If he can flash during camp, then he's going to get opportunities. But again, where do young guys really make the team? Unless you are a first, second-round pick where you're almost guaranteed to play at least three years in this league, you got to get on special teams. And I think he's going to be able to fly down on special teams and make plays as well. I just like that they're bringing in guys to compete, not just to be camp bodies, not just to, okay, we have to draft somebody, let's go here. They're talking about these guys as if they're already part of this football club. So there are high expectations. And I think Eskridge, I think all three of their draft picks will make the ball club. Very curious to see what the offensive line is going to look like, too. They brought in a lot of big guys. It's not just uh, in Stone Forsyth, who's 6'8", 6'9". I think of the three undrafted free agents that they brought, or four undrafted offensive linemen free agents that they brought in, Three of them are six foot six or taller. There's another six foot eight dude amongst them as well. Here is the listener question of the day. And we, we talked about this a little bit bumped towards the end of our show after the draft on, on Saturday. It has to do with a guy that has kind of been forgotten this offseason in Marquise Blair. There are so many corners, it seems like, on the roster right now. And we did hear, at least from Pete, that Trey Brown is someone who's probably going to be on the outside, not on the inside. What's going to happen with Marquise Blair next year? Where do you think that they're going to use him? Is he still going to be in that nickel spot, or are they going to move him to safety? What do you think is going to happen with him, as a texter asks? You know, I think they're going to use him in that nickel spot. Uh, we talked about it before plenty of times, Paul. We really liked what he looked like in the slot before he got hurt. He's a natural safety, played that position. I think he will be a backup safety uh, as well. They're going to find ways to get him on, on the field. And while you're at it, Marquise Blair, go ahead and, and re- get reps at the corner position too. The more you can do, the better. If you can go from corner to nickel to safety, you're going to find yourself on the football field, and I expect him to do that. I think this guy is going to be the number one nickel coming off the bench. And, again, he's a defensive guy. He's a young guy. He has to contribute on special teams as well. I think he's going to have a big year. I think that when you bring in young guys as well, these older guys, veterans, and second, third, you guys, they're looking over their shoulder like, yeah. okay, I'm not going to have this young dude beat me out. So i gotta, I got to raise my game to another level, and I think he'll do that. Seeing as you successfully predicted Dwayne Eskridge to the Seahawks bump, do you have any predictions in this little game that we like to call life in the near future? <laughs> just, just, just say them right now so that we get to hear it first right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Um, I'm predicting that the guys putting in turf in my backyard right now are going to do an excellent job. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, now, now you're putting some, some high pressure on these guys. They better, better come true. But you know what? That kind of positive attitude, it might come true. Michael Bumpus, appreciate you stopping by in the sports pit, and I'll talk to you again on Wednesday. All right, Galant. See you, man. The one and only Bump Stradamus. Trademark that. Get your T-shirts out. He predicted Dwayne Eskridge to the Seattle Seahawks in the second round. Think about how difficult that is. It's really impressive. But this is why we love this guy. Brings the hot takes, but also the analysis that everyone needs to have when it comes to your Seattle Seahawks. So my question for you as we continue the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle and Washington, nay, the world, 710-710 is the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. Tweet me, Akalon says, 206-421-3776. Who was your favorite pick from this past weekend? Who was your least favorite pick from this past weekend? The Seahawks have tipped their hand, I think, as far as something else that they might be drifting towards now that some things have been made some changes have been made on the offensive side of things i'll share that with you next and i'm curious as to if it actually will work out you're listening to paul galant powered through the alaska airline studio every day at 10 on 710 espn seattle it's the most interactive sports talk show in seattle and washington nay the world 206 421 3776 is how you call in you can text in too 
on the Mac and Jacks Brewing Company. Text line at 710-710. Real quick thoughts on the Seahawks and a change that they might be making on offense. It's not just that they bring in Dwayne Eskridge. It's not just that Shane Waldron is the new offensive coordinator. Andy Dickerson comes in as the run game coordinator. They got a type on the offensive line. While they might be drifting away from the taller corners, they like height on the offensive line, it seems. Stone Forsyth is 6'8 or 6'9, and they brought in this offseason, right after the draft was done, three more giant dudes. Six foot eight, one of them, two of them six foot six. We'll see if any of those guys contribute. I know that a lot of people texted in that they're excited about the Stone Forsyth pick, largely, I think, because some had projected him to go in the second or third round. I do wonder what led him to slide all the way that he did. But they like tall guys on the offensive line. That is weird to me. This is not me doubting it or questioning it. It's just strange that when your quarterback's 5'11", that that's the route that you're going with the offensive lineman. You want to have massive dudes. I would want Russ to be able to see over those guys so that, you know, he can get the ball out a little bit more quickly. And maybe... One of Carroll's notes with Forsyth was that he's going to have to learn to play low. Yeah. <laughs> and that's hard to do, Mora, when you're six foot nine, I'd imagine very difficult. And people are going to be able to get leverage on you. And it's great. He has long arms and all that, but yeah, it's going to be tough. And I imagine it'll be tough for Russ to see over it. And, and one of the things I want to see more of from Russ this year is quick decisions, getting the ball out from time to time a little more quickly because he does play a role in some of the sacks that he takes. So interesting to see that the Seahawks are perhaps enthusiasts for the talls on the text line, uh, 710-710. All the picks make sense to me. I like Stone's upside the most. Eskridge is my least favorite only because I would have taken a different receiver there. Well, I think the Rams wanted to take him, and they ended up taking a different receiver there in 2-2 Atwell, and I don't think they're as thrilled, at least in the all the grades that you see afterwards. Some people said that they reached there. And I do think that they thought that Twain Eskridge was going to be there for them at that spot. Another text, I like all three picks. I'm most excited for the offensive tackle, then the wide receiver, then the cornerback. So talking about Stone Forsyth, then Dwayne Eskridge, then uh, Trey Brown at corner. Uh, text, 710-710 on the Mac and Jacks Brewing Company text line. It's difficult for there to be a bad pick when they are all potential year one starters. I'm going to pause for a second. Stone Forsyth is very unlikely to be a year one starter. If you listen to Pete Carroll talk after the draft over the years, whenever he said that, quote, they're going to come in and compete, they've either won or had a chance to win the starting job. I'll also say this. Pete says compete a lot. (laughs) A lot. I mean, I don't think it's even possible to keep tabs on the amount of time that he has said that. So I I don't know that I would read as much into it as you are. Uh, The text continues. My favorite pick is Dwayne Eskridge. I've watched a couple of his games at Western Michigan, and he's a better route runner than he's given credit for. I think Eskridge can be used like Percy Harper. See, that intrigues me because he was a high school running back or at least like Robert Woods because of that offensive coordinator. All good picks. Go Hawks, writes the texture. Well thought out. Perhaps thinking a little bit too much on that, but I like the Percy Harvin possibility. Uh, the other thing, though, that you have to remember with Percy Harvin, Percy Harvin was maybe the most athletically gifted wide receiver in that draft class and probably of that decade. I know it didn't exactly work out for Harvin, but, I mean, if you ever, if for anyone who watched him the amount of times that I did, like, I watched him every single Saturday play for Florida. Um, <laughs> he's, he's something else as far as wide receivers that do have that extra ability. And it's a shame it didn't work out here. It really is. I, I, I think he was a tremendous player. Um, text in 710-710 on the Mac and Jack Brewing Company. Text line, I'm surprised the Seahawks used all three picks, didn't try to trade into more picks. I am surprised by that as well. 
I'm really surprised that they used that second-round pick. Now, clearly they liked Eskridge enough to take him there. But I imagine that they would have thought about trading back if they could have. I don't think that they are entirely thrilled that they came out of the draft with just three players. And I know that they'll say afterwards, yeah, well, we drafted Jamal Adams, and we drafted Gabe Jackson, and we drafted Carlos Dunlap. Now, this text continues. Do you think that the three picks, all that the Seahawks used in the draft, has anything to do with the kind of year it's been? Now, the pandemic may be causing more teams to take flyers on this draft. Yeah, definitely. And the Seahawks have even acknowledged that, that I think the Jamal Adams trade was one with, with a little bit of desperation, but I, I imagine that they felt that the, it's a little easier to trade multiple first-round picks when you know in one year that everyone's going to be operating with a little bit more fog when it comes to the NFL draft. Uh, Tax, do you think there will be more draft busts across the board? And maybe the Hawks were trying to lessen their chances by using their picks. I, I do think it's going to be like just about every single year. Some teams are going to find guys that are fit. Some teams aren't. The draft is generally the same just about every single year. I, I The thing that I find interesting is that people are of the belief that it's really easy to um, – there are people that I think believe that there are some teams that are great at drafting and there are some teams that aren't. I think that the NFL draft is the great equalizer. In a league marked by parity, I think just about everyone's uh, at the NFL draft. No one's great. No one's bad. It's really difficult to do. And, and, and that's why I find it amusing, like, all the grades that come out the day afterwards. No one has any clue. And yet you're going to give it a grade from A to C, too. Never, no one ever has the chutzpah to say F. Those people I respect. Please put your name on it, you know? A lot of thanks to go around for today's edition of the Paul Gallant Show. To our callers, to our texters, to our tweeters.